John Rahm overtakes Brooks Kepka in what turned out to be a long Sunday as he's your Masters champion in 2023. I'll review all that took place at Augusta, including Tiger's withdrawal, Kepka's collapse, Phil Mickelson turning back the clock, and where is Rory McIlroy? The NBA season is now concluded as the playing tournament starts tomorrow. What's going on in Minnesota as the Timberwolves are melting down right in front of our eyes? The final few days of the NHL season is producing some great drama as the Islanders, among other teams, fight to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Tampa Bay Rays are just 153 wins away from a perfect season. Is it smoke and mirrors, or is this start legit? And Odell Beckham Jr. signs a one-year deal in Baltimore. Will that bring Lamar Jackson back as well? If entertaining, incredible sports talk is what you're looking for, then you've come to the right place. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, and why not? Spring is most definitely in the air as Easter is now behind us, the middle of the month approaching, and possible record temperatures in the Northeast right behind that as we get a little taste of summer here in the month of April. I can promise you that you'll get more than just a taste of what the sports universe is serving, as it's my pleasure to share all that's on the smorgasbord as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and boy do we have a lot to get into on this podcast, including... The Masters, now in the books, the first major golf tournament of the year. And overall, it looked like it was going to be an out-and-out disaster because when you had trees falling on Friday and you had Saturday rain where as you're watching the tournament unfold, you have the caddies opening up the umbrellas so the players will avoid the just rain-drenched and soaked golf course down there at Augusta. Actually, it was very tough to watch. And as they halted the tournament there Saturday afternoon to where they had to play 30 holes yesterday. And Brooks Kepka, who had a four-stroke lead over John Rahm. And it looked like it was going to be a two-man race heading into Sunday. And as I mentioned, it was a disaster waiting to happen. Because a lot of the other performers that we thought were going to be near or close to the top of the leaderboard were nowhere to be found. That including Tiger Woods, who had to withdraw on Sunday because of plantar fasciitis which happened to creep up on him and that was tough to see him hobble throughout the course of the day and days leading up to him withdrawing there yesterday and then you had a couple of other golfers that were nowhere to be found which I'll get into later on but it was a scenario heading into yesterday where you thought and just hoped that A the weather would clear up because Sunday the chance of rain where it was going to be anywhere in the mid to upper 50s and the percentage was, I believe, somewhere between 70 and 80%. Well, I guess the gods from the heavens above, as well as Mother Nature said, okay, let me stop wreaking havoc all over, which is actually the Super Bowl of golf. And you saw 
some sunshine, you did see some clouds, but at least it was pleasurable to watch there yesterday as we saw it all unfold where Brooks Kepka, who had, again, a four-stroke lead going into the seventh hole there in the third round, and that proved to be a big thing because when Kepka, who was riding high pretty much the whole weekend, leading up into Sunday, we know Victor Hovland played very well there. He was the leader heading into Friday, and then Brooks Kepka overtook him. You also had the young amateur Sam Bennett, who played very well in the first two holes, but then after that just fell apart. You had Jordan Spieth, who played very well throughout the course of the weekend, including a 66 there on the final round yesterday. Cameron Young, even Colin Morikawa played very well in the opening couple of rounds as he shot 69, both on Thursday and Friday. But when it came down to yesterday, where Kepka four strokes. Now, we understand that's not impossible to overcome, even with a guy like John Rahm, who we all know, as of right this second, is the best golfer in the world. And you could have argued that whether Scotty Scheffler or even Cameron Smith is also in that mix when it comes to the number one golfer throughout the planet. But we saw Rom yesterday combined with Kepka, and Kepka collapsed big time because he went through a stretch of 22 consecutive holes where he didn't even get a birdie and obviously just had his putter as well as his tee shots just go into the trees. He didn't hit many fairways. And his putter just happened to betray him at the worst possible time. And for him to just fall apart the way he did, and even though Rom, who was excellent throughout the course of the weekend, he shot 65, 69 there in the first couple of days, and then yesterday with a 69 as well, as he zoomed right past Kepka as we got deeper into the afternoon, and pretty much was smooth sailing for him from there on out. He didn't really have a moment or didn't have any stretches where you thought that he was going to be in jeopardy of losing this tournament overall. And I understand there wasn't a lot of drama after Rom surpassed Kepka when we saw him fall apart and Rom was in that groove where you knew nothing was going to slow him down or stop him. Even a guy like Phil Mickelson, who has won this tournament three times and had a just killer final round himself, shooting a 65 and him ending up in second place. Nobody thought that that was actually going to be imaginable or even possible. But for Lefty to perform the way he did after shooting a 75 there on Saturday into Sunday. Oh, I believe he was actually done by the time they wrapped up there Saturday afternoon. But still for Mickelson to close out the way he did. But even then, it was not a threat to what Rom did. And he just flexed his muscles and showed the world that he belongs as the number one golfer Scotty Scheffler, the guy who won last year, had to fit John Rahm for his green jacket there yesterday. And overall, the tournament, it was saved a little bit, basically because of what Rahm did. And with Kepka just melting down at the worst possible time, I know with Kepka, a lot of people thought that a lot of it had to do with him having to be patient because with all of the hustle and scrambling, trying to get 30 holes in, for Kepka, for Rom, and a couple of other golfers there, that there were moments where he had to wait around, he had to stand around, and he's a type of guy where he's an up-tempo guy, he likes to be right to the ball, let's move, he doesn't want to stand around or have to wait around to, whether it's trying to usher players from one hole to the next, or in preparation of trying to get everybody on board to squeeze in all these holes on the final day, It was difficult for him where it threw his game off big time and you saw that and it was just unfortunate. And for him, in the post-match interview, he didn't say much as far as excuses or pointing fingers. He just flat out said that for the first three days or the first three rounds, he was great. And on the final round, he didn't do enough, plain and simple. And give it up to him. We know Kepka doesn't have much of a personality. He's the type of guy where he's not really beloved by the golf fan or maybe even throughout a lot of players on the circuit. Now, granted, he's on the live tour, so you're not going to see him around until the PGA next month. But still, that had to be a bitter pill for Kepka to swallow, knowing that he had a sizable lead heading into the final round or really into the second part of the third round because by the time he got to the final round, his four-stroke lead was down to two and then Rom took over and Kepka still couldn't find his way throughout the course there at Augusta 
And that's why you have Rom as your winner. Now, to me, I don't want to say it was more Kepka losing than Rom winning because Rom was as hot as a pistol. But it certainly didn't help Kepka by him, as I mentioned, not hitting fairways, not being able to secure putts when he absolutely needed it. And you have to give it up to Rom because he was a guy that rose to the occasion, that knew that he was creeping up little by little, but he stuck to his game and made shot after shot after shot. His approaches were stupendous. Of course, his putting was phenomenal, and he hit pretty much every fairway throughout the course of yesterday from the morning into the afternoon, and that's why he's wearing the green jacket, and he's your 2023 Masters Champion. Another storyline heading into the weekend was the whole Live Tour versus PGA. Now, not to try to make them out to be a celebrity deathmatch or a Royal Rumble by any stretch, but a lot of people thought that these guys weren't going to be able to perform here because, again... They've been playing 54 holes. We all know that the Live Tour, it's pretty much a day at the beach when it comes to playing that tournament because you only have the three rounds. You don't miss cuts. It's a whole different ball of wax than it is with the PGA. And there were a lot of people, and I'm sure maybe even some of the players on the PGA Tour probably thought that these guys weren't going to compete. And as we saw, even though Kepka and him just kicking himself throughout the course of yesterday... We know how well he played throughout the course of three and a half holes or three and a half rounds, I should say. And we saw what Phil Nicholson did and he was just otherworldly when you think about it. And it shows that he still has a little bit of gas left in his tank. Obviously, when you look at a guy like Patrick Reed, who also played well and was in the mix there yesterday, and I get it, Bryson DeChambeau didn't make the cut. And you had a couple other guys who were just nowhere to be found. Over the course of the weekend, I know Sergio Garcia and guys like that who were part of the Live Tour, but they represented here. And if people thought that they were not going to play high-stakes golf here, especially on this surface, at that venue, granted that they had the rain and the inclement weather over the course of Friday and Saturday, but still, I thought that they were going to play well. I thought that they were going to perform at a high level, and that's what they did as they were pretty much at the top of the leaderboard throughout the course of the entire weekend, although Kepka was unable to seal the deal. And speaking of players who were nowhere to be found, and I'm sorry that I got to pick on this guy, but Rory McIlroy, he's got a lot of explaining to do. And here's a guy that is very popular amongst the players on the tours we know. He's pretty much the unofficial spokesperson for the tour as a guy that has led the attack against the live golf players as a guy that has really shunned what they had done as far as defecting over to the live golf tour we all understand about the money we understand about the riches that the tour and that league was going to provide to guys who have already established themselves the aforementioned Mickelson even a guy like Dustin Johnson who was eight over by the way even guys like that where you can understand and even bicker a little bit about why would they jump ship if they already have a ton of money. I could see maybe the intermediate or maybe not the seasoned golfer who has won several tournaments and has made a big purse throughout the course of his career, maybe wanting to go ahead and take the money, take the purses, and try to at least secure himself for his future, his family, etc. But when you look at guys like Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, going down the line, even Bryson DeChambeau didn't make the cut, who have made a fortune so far. And McElroy was vociferous in sharing his views and expressing his opinion on why that was a bad look for them and how they may not be embraced when they come back and play these type of tournaments. Well, for all the bluster and for all the talk that he's had, and this isn't recent, this is going back to last summer for the most part, but for McElroy, who has not won a major tournament since 2014, for a guy that a lot of people rank as one of the top golfers in the world, and yes, he's won a lot of these other tournaments outside of the four majors, which I understand may be nice and it may be cute and it may be great for him, but we all know that you're going to be based and judged on what you do in these major tournaments. And what did he do here in Augusta over the couple of days? And I don't want to hear any excuse about, oh, I was injured or, oh, I just did not play well. And I don't know what he said in the post-match interview upon his exit there on Friday. But okay, you're going to shoot a 72 in the opening round. All right, fine. So you pretty much went par. And then 77 after that to say bye-bye as I'm sure he left on his private jet to wherever his next destination may be. That is just an awful job on his part. 
because for as much as he's been ballyhooed and as much as he's been praised throughout maybe the golf fan, the media, and maybe amongst his own brethren on the tour, he has not showed up at any of these tournaments over the years. And when he has, even last year, I believe he shot a 64 in the final round in last year's Masters, but what did it mean? Scotty Scheffler had such a big lead that it didn't even matter and it was an afterthought Similar a little bit to what Phil Mickelson did this time around, but we understand Mickelson has won this tournament three times. He's 52 years of age, where Rory's, what, 31, 32, and hasn't done anything in almost a decade when it comes to playing in the Masters, the PGA, the U.S. Open, or even the Open out in the British. So for him, he needs to pipe down and just kind of lay low until he finally wins another major because I don't want to hear anything else about how great he is, how great he is at the Valero Open, or the Waste Management Open out in Phoenix, or the Canadian Open. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want to hear anything else. That's not to say that even if he was in the mix, at least we could say, all right, well, he was part of the leaderboard and certainly made a staple or certainly made an impact and let his golf clubs do the talking. But enough of Roy McIlroy as of right now. I don't want to hear how great of a guy he is. I don't want to hear that he's the second coming of the Pied Piper Peter Pan, you name it. I don't want to hear it. Now he needs to just lay low, go out and win a major tournament, and then he can start speaking and puffing out his chest as if he is the guy that is the poster boy for the PGA Tour. So I don't want to hear anything else from him. And as for Rom, there isn't anything else that you could say about the way he's played and how he's performed here because... We can argue whether or not who is the number one golfer in the world. And Scotty Scheffler, he's had a stranglehold on that for quite some time. But Rom and what he's done so far this year, I believe this is his fourth win. He had three others early on in this golf season. And now to, I'm not going to say top it off because we're just getting started here with the golf season. But to win this Masters and to have that green jacket, I'm sure it has to be sweeter than anything that he could ever imagine. And I know it meant a lot to him especially being a Spaniard with Seve Ballesteros and with Jose Maria Olazabal. Those are two guys that he looked up to, especially Ballesteros, who won the Masters 40 years ago. In fact, in a playoff, it wasn't even a playoff, they had to play on a Monday because of the weather, and it looked like that was going to be the case heading into this weekend, as we talked about on the podcast Thursday. But I would think at this very moment, as great as Scheffler is, Rom has not only been consistent, but he has been dominant and he right now has to be the number one golfer in the world. And Cameron Smith, who did not play well in this tournament, was what? I believe tied for 34th as he was certainly subpar for him here at the Masters. But for Rom, what more can you say? You can't throw any more bouquets at his feet knowing that he was able to come out from a four-stroke trailing into yesterday And then into that final round where he cut it to two. And at that point, that was it. He just took off and ran with it. And as we discussed about Kepka also playing a big part in that. But nobody was going to beat Rom yesterday once he got into that groove. And that's all there was to it. And that is your Masters pretty much in a big giant nutshell. And one other thing I want to throw in. I mentioned that on Thursday. I wanted to go a little bit of a different take or a different prediction by choosing Will Zalatoris as my Masters winner. And as far as predictions go, you could not only throw that in the garbage or you flush it down the toilet, that you could just incinerate times 10 because Zalatoris had to skip the Masters because he had a back injury and then actually had surgery to where he's going to be out for the entire golf season, which I would think means that he's going to miss all the majors upcoming with the PGA next month, which is going to be in Rochester. And then obviously, Father's Day weekend, you're going to have the U.S. Open, and then you'll have the Open in the middle of July. And I understand a lot of people are going to look at that, where in years past, they had the PGA in August, where they moved it up, I believe, maybe right before the pandemic. I believe the PGA was moved up from August to May, just so they could have those four months in succession. Now, the PGA doesn't really mean much when you look at the four majors. To me, that's the... One at the bottom rung where it's Masters. I understand you could argue U.S. Open and the Open because when you think of the Open, you think of St. Andrews and that's where golf was birthed. So you could argue whether or not 
the Open and the U.S. Open are neck and neck. I understand the U.S. Open is probably going to be a little bit more popular because it's played here in the States. But overall, you have to give the Open its due. And then you have the PGA, which again is going to come like a racehorse up the track well in the rear when it comes to the other three tournaments. But for Zalatoris, who's going to be out, and obviously I'm not going to choose him as we're not going to see him, I would think, at least for the next three months and as we get deeper into the year where, as we know, golf is going to take a significant turn and a downturn at that because once you get past July and in the middle of the summer, you pretty much have your golf season end right there when it comes to the four majors. So that's what we got. And in closing, if it wasn't for the weather turning yesterday to where you got some sunny skies... And the two-man race that was Kepka and Rom. yes, I understand Nicholson and what he did there yesterday, but not a lot of suspense, not a lot of drama. Yes, watching Kepka and how he performed and how that un- unfolded was a shock to see, and then Rom just zoomed right past him. That's where your drama built up, but overall, it wasn't a nail-biter, it wasn't a white-knuckler to the point where it was just gripping drama to watch from, let's say, 3.45 to, what was that, about 7.15, 7.20 last night. And Rom was just his dominant, usual, number one self. And now that we got that one out of the way, we can look forward to the PGA next month as we get the first major golf tournament in the books. Alright, so as I put my golf clubs away and break out the high tops to get into the association because playoff time is on the horizon. And I get it for those who are traditionalists like myself, the playing games, they don't really tickle my fancy or really get me jacked up to watch. And of course, I'm going to follow and watch to see how this is going to play out. But the playing tournament is just pretty much a, just a teaser for what may lie ahead. And as we all know, these four games that are going to take place, not only tomorrow night, but also Wednesday night is going to lead into Thursday and Friday and obviously into the weekend where we have the NBA playoffs in full tilt, the four-game Saturday, the four-game Sunday, which I love. It's wall-to-wall basketball pretty much starting from 1 o'clock up until about almost midnight, depending on how they space these games. And as we all know, the first round, they're going to space these games for about two weeks. And it's a little bit too long for my liking. I understand that. But it is here. The quest for the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy begins tomorrow night. And the one storyline that I'm going to get to are the Minnesota Timberwolves. Because for what took place there on the sidelines or on the bench there, between Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson, was not only disgraceful. I know Gobert's a bit of a goofball, is a bit of a character. If you remember three years ago, that whole scenario right before the pandemic hit, And he was touching all the microphones on the podium or on the dais. And then he walked off. And then little did we know, what was it, a couple days later, he was the first person or first player, athlete that came down with the coronavirus. So we know that he's a bit out there. And for him to just swing at his teammate there, for everybody to see. And then later on, Jalen McDaniels goes into the locker room and punches a wall, whereas we all know, That is just going to be bad. The wall is going to win that 10 times out of 10. So he fractures his hand. He's probably going to be out for the remainder of not only just this playing tournament, but if they do make it past that into the playoffs. And the T-Wolves, we saw what happened to them last year. That a very entertaining, good first round against the Memphis Grizzlies, which they lost in six. But they had two big sizable leads that they should have won and should have beaten the Grizzlies in that series. But immaturity and youth... And not being familiar with this type of territory that the T-Wolves have not been familiar with as we've seen over the years. And then that just reared its ugly head yesterday to where Gobert's swinging the teammates. McDaniel's breaking his hand. And now you have to wonder whether or not the T-Wolves are going to be up for a game in LA tomorrow against a Laker team. That you know they want to just get that game out of their system. Get that win so they could rest for those few days heading into the weekend. And then have Minnesota either host the Oklahoma City Thunder or New Orleans Pelicans as the final remaining game of the playing scenario. But that is just a bad way to close out your season and then have to get into the postseason the way they did. And as it was, they were struggling a little bit down the stretch, even though when they got Carl Anthony Towns back, they did play a little bit better. 
And for whatever it's worth, these final few games, including that last one yesterday, is just inexcusable. Just a terrible display there. And I get it that they sent Gobert home after that. It was right before halftime. And then that was it. Who knows if there's going to be any disciplinary actions. I know it's going to be difficult for the brass of the T-Wolves to suspend them for a game because they need them. They're going to need them to at least... Be competitive and at least be in this game against the Lakers to go up against Anthony Davis, LeBron, etc. But if you're the owner and we know part owner there is Alex Rodriguez, they're going to have to make a tough decision, which I'm sure they're probably in the middle of doing right now, to see whether or not they're going to suspend them, at least for this first game. And if they survive that, maybe you could come back for the wrap-up to see who gets that eighth seed in the Western Conference to move on to play into the weekend. That's all I can say about that. If anything, the NBA survived a missile that they dodged because yesterday, with the way the Golden State Warriors got out of the gate against the Portland Trailblazers to where they scored an NBA record, get ready for this, 55 points in the first quarter. If that isn't a sign of a team that's tanking, and mind you, even if they would have won that game, it wouldn't have mattered, but the Trailblazers have just been a dead team walking, and for that to happen in the first quarter of any NBA game is just downright inexplicable, inexcusable, straight up awful. And they cruise to a 157-101 victory to where we thought with the way the Suns were playing against the Clippers and the Suns actually had a lead going into the fourth quarter to where the Clippers were able to outlast the Suns and they will actually be in a first round matchup between Phoenix and the Clippers and the reason why I say dodge the missile because if the Clippers would have lost that game the Warriors would have had the five seed they would have been going to Phoenix in the first round of the opening round of the NBA playoffs and as I mentioned there on Thursday if that was going to be the case that would have been an awful sign because you would have had either Phoenix going home by Golden State beating them with a shot of not seeing Kevin Durant Devin Booker or Chris Paul advanced to the second round. And then the flip side of that, if Phoenix were to beat Golden State, bye-bye to the defending champs, bye-bye Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, etc., which that wouldn't have been good for the NBA ratings. As it is, they could probably deal with the Clippers getting bounced in the first round much better than Golden State. But still, you do lose Kawhi Leonard, you do lose Paul George if he does come back, and then Russell Westbrook, who has actually made a contribution to the Clippers after being traded to Utah, getting his buyout, and then coming back to LA, and like I mentioned, has made a contribution to the team, so let's see what the Clippers are going to do against the Suns here in this opening round, but other than that, that was pretty much it for the NBA there yesterday, that was the only big storyline, or two storylines, was Warriors, could they get the five seed, and will the Clippers lose, that wasn't the case, and what happened there with the Timberwolves was just a terrible optic, and who knows what that's going to mean going into the game tomorrow night, whether they have Gobert or not. And if they do lose, whether or not you're going to see Gobert on Thursday to see if they can get into the postseason altogether. Now, as I take a look at these matchups, and I kind of hate to even handicap this, only because you have Atlanta and Miami tomorrow as your first game at 7.30, followed by Minnesota and the Lakers at 10. Both of those games on TNT. And then Wednesday, you'll have Chicago at Toronto, 7 p.m., followed by Oklahoma City at New Orleans, 9.30 on ESPN. And I kind of hate to go chalk here, but I could see Miami beating Atlanta. I don't know what the regular season record is, and it doesn't matter what their head-to-head was. And same for Minnesota and the Lakers. But I would think Miami, they don't want to fool around. They want to at least get that seven seed and have a rematch with the Celtics, which would be interesting. And remember, they've faced one another in the conference finals last year. And with the game being at home, not that Miami has any big-time home court advantage, but I would look at this scenario as the Heat, led by Eric Spolstra, to tell his team, let's not fool around, let's just get this one game, and we'll go to Boston Friday night, heading into the weekend. In fact, i got to look to see when that schedule is going to be, as I haven't even looked at it this morning, so we'll talk about that in a second. But I don't think there'll be any fooling around where Atlanta, as the 8th seed, will probably host the winner of Chicago and Toronto. And Toronto, I would actually trust them more, even with Nick Nurse. Nurse is a guy that even mentioned a couple weeks ago that he doesn't know where his future is going to lie after this year. 
He said that this year has been an absolute grind. Who knows if that means he's going to take a year off? Is he going to step down? That remains to be seen. But I would think even Toronto will come out on top, even though Chicago, they do have a couple of players that you have to look out for, in particular DeMar DeRozan, but the Bulls were the 10th seed for a reason. So I would think that Toronto would fare well and move on to see who they would play in the loser of Atlanta and Miami. And then I would think the Lakers will have that same tact that the Heat will. We were pretty much in the playoffs going back for the final few weeks of the season. We struggled just to get to the seventh seed. And I would think that they would have the game not only in their building, but if they could just sweep away the T-Wolves back to Minnesota or wherever they may land after that, well, they would be back in Minnesota because they would host that game, as I mentioned. But I'm sure no fooling around. Let them win Tuesday night so they can have a few days to recover and rest leading into the weekend. And that's what I could see with all the turmoil that's going on with the T-Wolves here over the last couple of days. And then OKC New Orleans. No Zion as we know. Zion, who knows what's going to happen with him in his career. Is this guy ever going to be healthy? It's a shame because we all know that a lot of people with him coming out of Duke a few years back and being that number one overall as to possibly being that next generational face of the franchise and face of the league type player. And as we've seen so far in flashes, yes, he can be that player, but he has not been able to stay on the court. And we're not going to see him here in this play-in tournament and probably beyond, even if the Pelicans do move on from here. But Oklahoma City, I could see them winning this game. They're a young, cohesive team that's on the come-up with the likes of Shea, Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy. They have a very good young team. And I could see them beating New Orleans here and maybe getting a shot to see what they could do in Minnesota to maybe upset that apple cart and get themselves into the playoffs. I would not be surprised. Oklahoma City is going to be pretty much on the shoulders of Gilgis Alexander SGA as they call him. And I believe he's the only player in the league. I could have sworn I saw this stat where he's had more than 40 30-point games, which is the most in the league this year. And I get it. Oklahoma City is not the Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook of a decade ago. But this team, this player, and I tell you, with all those number one picks that they got from the Paul George trade and a lot of just shrewd moves that they've made over the years... This team, I would think in the next three to four years, they're going to be up there in the Western Conference. You could write that down. So that's what I have there with the playing tournament. There's not really much to discuss there because it could be chalk. I could think Oklahoma City could be one of the teams that could come out of this playing scenario, especially as a nine seed, or excuse me, as a 10 seed at the moment. But can New Orleans make noise? Maybe. I don't trust them. We know they had a very good opening round last year against the Suns. They played him to six tough games. But I don't know the vibe there in New Orleans at the moment unless they all of a sudden flick the switch and they're not a team or an organization that has the right to do that because they haven't done much. But I would see Miami, LA, and I'll say Oklahoma City and Atlanta will come out on the back end of this. Now when we reconnect on Thursday, we'll have the first four games out of the way. And then you'll have a standalone game on Thursday, standalone game on Friday. The winner of that matchup will play Saturday on the schedule, and the winner Friday will play on the Sunday schedule when it comes to the playoffs this weekend. So that's what you have there. And as I take a look before I move on, we already know that the two, or I should say the three, six, and four, five matchups are set. And here's what we have on the schedule to start. You have Brooklyn going to Philadelphia, and they actually played one another yesterday. And that was a joke also, to have Michael Bridges come in for four seconds and come out just so he could extend his consecutive games played streak. I believe he's at, what, 389 or 398? That was weak sauce. Could you have him go in there for a few minutes instead of four seconds? That was bad. Very selfish. I understand that, yes, just to get some playing time to be a part of that record, but four seconds to just to go in and then come right out? Jacques Vaughn, you know better than that. And that's where karma could probably bite you in the ass when it's all said and done. Not to say that Brooklyn's going to have any chance against Philadelphia here, I would think, in this round. But we'll talk about more of that on Thursday to get more of an in-depth analysis and prediction of that series. But that's going to be the 1 o'clock game. You have the Celtics will follow that at 3.30. 
Now, of course, to be determined, whomever the seven seed is going to be, if Miami does win their game, it's going to be the Heat going to Boston. If they don't, then we'll have to wait and see how that's going to shape up. If Atlanta does win that game, then they will be the seven seed because they will automatically be a part of the postseason once they win. So the winner of that game, and I should have known that off the top of my head, but as I explained it further, I thought, well, if Atlanta wins, they're going to have the matchup against the Celtics. And as we saw there yesterday, the Hawks did play in Boston. So that would be interesting to see that they would have to go back to Boston there on Saturday after getting waxed there yesterday. And then you have the Knicks going to Cleveland. Will be 6 o'clock ESPN, followed by Golden State at Sacramento, your 8.30 ABC matchup. And Sacramento, first time in the postseason in 16 years. And then on Sunday, the time's not yet determined, but it will be in this order. Milwaukee will host the first game. That could be a 3 o'clock game only because the rest of the games are of the West Coast variety. Then you'll have a TBD at Denver, which may be your 5.30 matchup. TBD at Memphis will be your, I would think, 8 o'clock matchup. And then your 10.30 matchup will be the Clippers at Phoenix. So I would think that the NBA schedule will start at 3 p.m. on Sunday just because it is back-ended with the game's With the teams in the Western Conference, again, at Denver, at Memphis, at Phoenix, and Phoenix being a late one, I could see that being of the 10.30 time slot. So that's your NBA. I'll get into it a little bit more there, especially with the matchups as they start to shape up and have a little prediction. I know it'll be tough with the two games on Thursday and Friday to kind of predict, but we would think that those teams are going to be sacrificial lambs to whomever they play come over the weekend, but you know I'll go full bore on that on Thursday's podcast, so you don't want to miss that. All right, now as I lace up my skates, the NHL now just a few days away from concluding. The season will end on Friday. And as we get through some of these races, as we take a look as to what may lie ahead for these teams as they try to secure some of these playoff berths, as we know in the East, I'll start there. One last time, people, if the Bruins win one more game, They will eclipse the overall record for points in a regular season that was set by the Tampa Bay Lightning. They currently have 131 points. The Lightning had 132 back in the 2018-19 era. And yesterday, the Bruins got their 63rd win, which also eclipsed not only Tampa, but also the Red Wings of the 95-96 season. So that record's already in the books. So if they get one more win and they have two more games left, they will surpass that. And as I've said a zillion times, I'm sure you're sick and tired of it if you've listened to me over the last few months wax poetic about the Bruins. But we all know, if you're going to have this type of season, it has to end in a Stanley Cup championship. That's it. That's all. Let's move on. In the Metropolitan Division, you have the Hurricanes with a one-point edge on the Devils, where the Devils have a two-point advantage over the Rangers. So we have to take A close look at that race with Carolina having a game in hand on both the Devils and Rangers. And Carolina, as we close out their season, they have a game in Ottawa, which will be tonight. Because I think they're going to play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, since they have these three games. So they're going to be at Ottawa. And then they're going to wrap up at home against Detroit and then at Florida. Which is going to be a big game, and I'll explain that in a second. As far as the Devils and the Rangers, and I'll say both because... They're also in the mix, and you never know if the Hurricanes do flop here and either one of those two teams can take over. The Devils will host the Sabres tomorrow, and I would think their final game may be on Thursday, if that's the case. So after the Sabres tomorrow, their final game is at Washington to close out their regular season. And then the Rangers, I believe they have tonight, no, Yes, they do have the Sabres tonight. So interestingly enough, the Sabres will be in town tonight and tomorrow against the Devils. And then the Rangers will wrap up their season. I think off the top of my head, it's in Philadelphia. I may be wrong, but let me just double check. No, actually, they'll be at home against Toronto. I don't know why I had Philly on the brain, but they'll have the Maple Leafs come in to wrap up on Thursday. So that is your scenario. You would think that the Hurricanes, with a game in hand, should be able to secure the Metropolitan Division. But... Stranger things have happened, and they do have to go to Florida, which is going to be a big game for the Panthers, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. As far as the wild card scenario, and this has been hotly contested here over the final week, we saw what happened there Thursday night with the Islanders. They had to beat the 
Lightning, which was a huge game for them. And then they beat the Flyers. They shut them out there on Saturday, which I actually was at the UBS Arena. So it was good to be in the building to watch the Islanders continue their quest to make it back to the Stanley Cup playoffs, which they didn't do a year ago. But now as we get to this final stretch, the Islanders are currently in the two spot of the wild card where the Panthers are number one. They have 91 points. They have one more victory more than the Islanders. That's why they have the one wild card spot as of right this moment. As far as the Panthers, and then you have the Penguins. Can't forget them. They are one point behind the Islanders. The Sabres, they have two games in hand because they have a makeup game at the end of the week. So what does that mean for the Sabres? They have four games in five nights. And even if they run the table to get eight points, that's 93. They're still going to need a lot of help. So I'm not even going to look at the Sabres at this very moment. We'll reconvene on Thursday to see where they stand. But I would think that they have, think about it, Rangers, Devils, back-to-back, which is going to be tough. So you would think that by Thursday, their season is going to be kaput. But as far as the wild card there in the East, you have the Panthers. They'll host the Maple Leafs tonight down in Florida before their final game against the Carolina Hurricanes there on Thursday night. So two home games for them. The Islanders are in Washington tonight, who they beat just a week ago. So let's see if they can go back and beat the Caps again, which may not be easy to try to beat a team twice within a week or eight-day span. And then they close out their schedule Wednesday against Montreal, a team that obviously has been far out of the playoff mix. But the Islanders are the first team to end their season before anybody. So to think... Even if they win these next two games, they're going to have to wait and see how this is going to play out over the course of these final few days. And as it is, I think they just need to get three remaining points. They can't afford to lose. And even if they do, they will not control their own destiny. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to play out because the Penguins, who are one point behind them, they have a cupcake powder puff schedule. They host the Blackhawks tonight. Oh, excuse me, they host the Blackhawks tomorrow. And the Blackhawks, as we all know, they have not been good at the bottom of the NHL rung. And then to close out their season, they're at Columbus. Now, maybe Columbus could play spoiler, who knows. But easy games for them. And I understand the Islanders have easy games. Florida, not so much because they have Toronto as well as Carolina to close out. But we will see how the East will take into shape, especially as we get to Thursday, where we'll be on the eve of the close of the NHL season. And out west, Colorado has gained a little bit of separation there between Dallas and Minnesota. Remember, just a week ago, they were all tied at 98 points. And since then, Colorado has been on a roll where they've won five in a row in eight of the last 10. As they are two points ahead of the Stars, 104-102. And then four points ahead of the Minnesota Wild, who are just two points behind the Stars at 100. And as we take a look at their schedule over the last few days, now mind you, they have three games left. So you would think three of the next four or five nights where it's going to be a slog for them just to get to the finish line. So we will look at Colorado first before we get to Dallas and then Minnesota. Colorado, Edmonton, Winnipeg, both at home before going to Nashville. So certainly not easy. Winnipeg is in a fight to get that second wild card. Same for Nashville, but Nashville has got a lot of work to do and they have a brutal schedule as we talked about there on Thursday. So Edmonton, Winnipeg, that's going to be fascinating. A little rematch there between Colorado and Edmonton, if you recall. They were in the conference finals last year. And as Edmonton has been playing, and we'll get to them in a minute, they've been on fire, probably the hottest team in the sport. But as far as then Dallas and Minnesota, the Stars, who also are nipping at their heels, they are at Detroit tonight, which that should be a win. Then from there, I think their their final two games are at St. Louis and then they host St. Louis to wrap up the season. So three games and four nights for the Stars. Not going to be easy, even though it's against inferior opponents. And as far as the Wild, their final three games are as follows. At Chicago, Winnipeg, at Nashville. So a tricky schedule there for Minnesota as they round out their year. And then in the Pacific, you have the three-team race. Or really, it's two at this moment between Vegas and Edmonton. Edmonton's now won seven in a row, and they're just two points behind the Golden Knights, 107-105. The Kings are 100, so you can forget about them as far as being part of the division race. But when we take a look at Vegas and Edmonton, as far as their schedules go, Vegas has a home-and-home with the Kraken, 
and the Kraken are entrenched in that number one spot in the wild card. So who knows the Kraken if they're going to not play all their regulars, if they're going to rest a lot of their starters. That we're going to have to wait and see. But Vegas, those are two games where could be a little tricky, could be they're going to have to win these games because Edmonton's nipping on their heels. So by any means, they can't take a night off if they want to secure not only just the one seed throughout the entire conference, but even more so to not have Edmonton overtake them over these final few days. And as far as the Oilers, their remaining matchups are at Colorado and their final game is home against San Jose. Come Thursday, now granted, it's going to be Thursday when I record this in the morning, not late in the evening. So we're going to see how this is all going to shake down. And as I mentioned, Seattle... They have the number one seed there in the wild card, so they're fine. Followed by Winnipeg. Now, Calgary lost a bad game yesterday to Vancouver. In Vancouver, I get it was on the road, so that could happen to anybody. But we would think that Calgary, although they do have a favorable schedule, more so than Winnipeg, because Winnipeg has a gauntlet here over the final stretch of this year. And you can forget about Nashville. I know they're still in the mix, but they have some brutal games. Like I mentioned, they got to host Colorado there on that final night Friday they have Minnesota coming into their building the night before, and they have a lot of games that they got to make up here as well. So Nashville, that is a gauntlet for them. But Winnipeg's schedule here down the stretch, I tell you. If they make it to the postseason, they're going to earn it. And I think Calgary is still going to have a shot to get in. Okay, so they have the Sharks tonight. All right, that should be a win for the Jets. But then after that, here's what you got for Winnipeg. At Minnesota, at Colorado. That is going to be... Just too much, I think, for them to bear. Although they currently have, what, a two-point lead over the Calgary Flames at the moment. And Calgary, their final games, let me get to them as far as who they play to close out the season. So they're going to host Nashville. And as I mentioned, Nashville, I think I mentioned them 15 times here with the teams that they're going to be playing here down the stretch. But they'll have Nashville in their building and then follow that by San Jose. It's in front of them. Now, they lost a bad game last night, like I mentioned, to Vancouver. So that's inexcusable at this stage of the year. But when we take a look here overall, I would think that Winnipeg, do they have a shot to survive and maybe just hang on for dear life as they make it into the postseason as the second wild card? And chances are they're going to have to play Vegas to open up the postseason. Quite possible. But as we look here, they are actually one point Calgary behind them. So it is going to be nip and tuck to the very end for both wild cards and with the divisions, not only in the Metropolitan, but as well as the Pacific and the Central. Interesting races. I get it. Not everybody's in tune to the NHL. Not everybody's on top of it unless you're a big time hockey fan. But this is what you like to see in the sport. And as we all know, the playoffs are a crapshoot because you can have a 1-8 matchup and it's not automatic like the NBA where the 8 absolutely has very little to no shot beating a 1 seed. But in the NHL, you get the hot goalie, you get a goal scorer that's on fire, anything can happen. As we get set to close out this NHL and both fall and winter sports seasons, as we know the NBA is now concluded and the play-in begins and we're still a few days away from the NHL beginning their playoffs, which would start a week from today. All right, now let me lace up my cleats, get the batting gloves on as we take a quick trip throughout Major League Baseball. And the one thing that's going to make your eyes pop out of your head when you look at the standings is who's at the top of the American League East. And not necessarily because the Tampa Bay Rays are there, because we knew that they have a very good team, very solid. We know their starting pitching is excellent, as well as their bullpen is probably even better than that. Lineup, Maybe a little bit more to be desired, although they have some key components there in that lineup. The Brandon Lows of the world, the Wanda Francos, as we know. But for them to be at this stage after three series, 9-0, as I like to kid, they're 153 wins away from going a perfect 162-0. We all know that's not going to happen, but we could dare to dream if you're the 16 Tampa Bay Ray fans that are out there. But let's face it, is this a team that has gotten off to a tremendous start? Absolutely. Is this a team that is going to maybe be built to last throughout the course of the 2023 season? Quite possibly. Are they doing it with smoke and mirrors? Maybe not. But the schedule sure helps because in their 9-0 start, they have played the Detroit Tigers, 
the Washington Nationals, and then this weekend they played the Oakland A's. So if you combine their records total, Detroit is two and seven, Oakland is two and seven, and the Nationals are three and seven. So do the math. That is a total, my good people, of seven and twenty-one. So nine and zero, though it looks great, but when you look at the opponents, ah, now we understand why. And as it is, they're going to be hosting the Red Sox for four games upcoming in the Trop where you know they're going to lose one of those games and then they go to Toronto this weekend for three. So at some point this week, you know they're going to lose a game. Could actually be the night. Let's see if they get off to a 10-0 start. I know their start has been historic on a certain level because when you look at what they've done here, and granted, they've beat up on bad pitching and bad teams, but in the nine games, they've given up 18 runs total. And they scored 75. So your run differential right out of the gate, do the math, is plus 57. So I get it. We could break out all the pom-poms for the Rays and you can't knock them. Off to a great start and you're going to play who you have to play. But I won't go as far as saying smoke and mirrors, but the competition has been, let's just say, super weak. And if you go 9-0 against those teams, then God bless you. But let's see what they do after this week as they have some division rivals that they're going to face at home and on the road. And let's see where they stay in the week from today after this seven-game stretch. But good for them. Off to a great start, 9-0 for the Rays. Another team that suffered a huge break, and no pun intended, were the Pirates as their 6-7 shortstop O'Neill Cruz fractured his ankle because of a collision at the plate there yesterday. And I know both empty or both benches emptied yesterday. And even though it wasn't any intent there, but for O'Neill, who is a up-and-coming player, maybe even a superstar player for a Pirate team that started off 6-3 themselves, And right, we can take a look at who they beat along the way. I know they played the Reds. I believe their opening series of the year. And right, not to mistake in the Pirates for any big threat this year or a team that we're going to look at as maybe... Now, I picked them as an over this year. And having O'Neal Cruz out is certainly going to hurt as I don't know if he's going to be done for the season, but we saw his ankle there twisted and because it's fractured, he may be out, I would think, for a majority of this year. But even after losing two out of three to the Reds to start, they did sweep the Red Sox in Boston, which that's impressive. And then they beat the White Sox here two out of three in their own ballpark. And the White Sox are a team that they could either impress or they could regress like they did last year compared to what they did in 2021. So just a tough break for the Pirates there to lose a key player like that. And you want to see a Pirate team to at least hang around for a little bit. You don't want them to be out of everybody's consciousness by Memorial Day. And as it is, it probably would have been even with O'Neill Cruz in the lineup. But having him out is just a tough break if you're a Pirate fan. And they actually host the Astros here over the course of the next three days. And speaking of which, the Astros have not gotten off to a great start themselves. Now, I understand no Jose Altuve. We know Verlander, Justin Verlander's in Queens and not a part of their rotation. And maybe they have a little bit of the... Post-World Series Blues, maybe a little bit of a hangover, but the Astros have not been world beaters to start off their year at 4-6. and six. Otherwise, not much really else to get into or dive into. If you want to take a look at the Dodgers, they got swept by the Diamondbacks in Arizona over the weekend, so that's something that you may want to keep in mind. Not to say that the Diamondbacks, and I thought that they'd be a surprise. That wasn't really a pick that I went out on a limb And granted, it's only 10 games, can't get crazy, can't get just too over the moon about it. And now that I think about it, they actually lost three out of four. It was a four-game set. They lost the last three. So they did have a four-game series out in the desert where they were unsuccessful in trying to either split or win the series for that matter, as we know the Diamondbacks have done so. But other than that, I know the Brewers 7-2 and out of the gate real quick. That's something that you'll keep in mind. Twins and Guardians, you think they're going to fight there all year. The AL West, who knows how that's going to shape out. We figure that Texas and the Angels may start playing to what we've seen over the years, even with the improvements of the pitching staff down in Texas. Braves 6-4 and four, as they lost three over the weekend. I believe three. Let me just double check that just not to sound silly. No, that was another scenario, right, where they played the Padres four games and they did win the first game 
in dramatic fashion, but they lost the last three, including getting bombed last night on Sunday Night Baseball 10-2. And the Padres come to town to face the Mets in a rematch of the wild card last year. And Max Scherzer's on the mound, and he has not pitched well. I understand the opening day game against the Marlins was okay, but he gave up the three runs there in the sixth inning, and then the game in Milwaukee, you just throw that one into the trash. So let's see if Scherzer can exact a little bit of revenge. Obviously, the stake's much lower than October, but the Padres are in town for three against the Mets, so that's one you know I'll be all over. But besides that, that's what you got there in baseball. And as I wrap up with the NFL, I know the draft is two weeks from this coming Thursday, but you've had a signing in the NFL yesterday where Odo Beckham Jr. signed a one-year $15 million deal to join the Baltimore Ravens. And I believe it's up to $18 million when it's all said and done, but $15 million of that guaranteed. Who knows? Is this a ploy to try to bring Lamar Jackson back on that franchise tag where he'll be paid $32 million this upcoming year if he does sign it? We don't know if he's going to pull a Le'Veon Bell where he's going to sit out because his trade prospects, as we've chronicled, going back a couple of weeks, they are very slim at the moment. We talked about how the commanders are in the process of being sold, so there's no way he's going to go up the beltway to play for the commanders. The only other teams that he has, maybe the Jets, and who knows what's going to happen there with the whole Aaron Rodgers saga, but you would think he's going to end up playing in another green uniform when it's all said and done, that being the green and white of the Jets. Maybe the Indianapolis Colts. Now remember, they're drafting fourth. Why would they even think about trading Lamar Jackson where they have to give up that number four pick as well as another number one pick next year on top of $200 million guaranteed to Lamar Jackson? I wouldn't do it. There's some rumblings. Maybe San Francisco could be involved, which would be silly for the Niners. And I get it that their offense is tailored more so on the run. And if you have Lamar Jackson there, boy, that offense could be lethal. But still, I wouldn't do that if you're the Niners. So he pretty much does not have a landing spot to go to as far as being traded out of Baltimore, knowing that that team that he would go to is going to have to give up a boatload, not only of just guaranteed money, but the two number one picks. Now, does this lure Jackson to come back to Baltimore? I can't say it does. I would think when it's all said and done, maybe he does sign the one-year tag, and then after that, he may have some options next year. But that is a long way from now. And if you're Lamar Jackson, he's stuck to his guns to this point. And one more time, even with Odell Beckham Jr. in the mix, and yes, that could be a deadly combination for the AFC and especially the AFC North, but then their offense is going to have to be tailored around to more of a passing game than it is the running game. And I think that would even bode well because you don't want to have Lamar Jackson running whatever, 8 to 12 times a game because as we've seen over the last couple of years, he's been injury prone. He's not finished out these seasons and you want to keep him in the pocket as much as you can. You already have Mark Andrews as his security blanket at tight end. Now you have OBJ there, which is fantastic. And I understand all this is conjecture and it's all hypothetical at the moment, but I have to bring it up only because if Lamar Jackson signed at the very moment, if he went to the Raven facility and signed his John Hancock on the dotted line, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be Super Bowl bound or a team to be reckoned with in the AFC because they would have to maybe not revamp their offense, but there would certainly be a significant makeover for OBJ to get touches, for him to get targets, etc. Because this team is run-oriented, as we've seen. And why would that change once Jackson, if he does come back into the fold? I don't know. And I get it. That this is all based on him coming back. And if he does come back, then we could delve into it and go fully in-depth on it. But I bring it up now because... These are receipts that you may have to check at some point down the road. Now, who knows? You may not have to check them if Lamar Jackson is going to sit out this year or if an owner says, the hell with it, I want to trade for Lamar Jackson. And as we all know, you have one owner that's out there that's willing to just be punch drunk and bring in a guy like Lamar with all of his talent and his dynamic play to maybe bring more fannies to the seats and market, advertising, season tickets, etc. But until then... Odo Beckham is in Baltimore and Lamar Jackson is not. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. 
As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day or maybe an hour, I would say, if you listen from start to finish, which I hope you did. Because if you're listening to me now, that means that you had gotten your fill on everything that's happened in sports over the last few days. So your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially in the realm of sports. If you want to hit me up, you can certainly do so at the following on YouTube, at J Reels, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number, and the old-fashioned way, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you can do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, pretty much since birth. Because whether it's my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise with my passion, fire, fury, energy on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>